Jordan, how's it going, dude? Uh, super nice to be here and have your puppy at my feet so I can play with her <laughs> as we record here today. Yeah, it's, it's good, dude. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks for coming over to the house. I think um, it's uh, we're neighbors, although I think we tend to see each other probably um, more outside of the it, country than here. Outside of the country or if we decide we're going to go get ourselves lunch or something together. Yeah, exactly. I think it's... Um, it is what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's funny because I think you, me, Ben Taylor, um, we're all in Utah, but we all kind of are not really here. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. We were just talking about this. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I guess for people who don't know who you are, um, give a quick intro. Yeah, introduction to me, Jordan Morrow, worked in the data and analytics space for years now. My, my claim to fame is I helped invent and pioneer data literacy, the entire field. Uh, and, and to your point on seeing each other out of the country more than seeing each other in the country is it, just like you get invited to travel all over the place, speaking on the topic, talking about data literacy, culture, data strategy, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, I think you kind of reluctantly accept this title, but I know you're known as the <laughs> godfather of data literacy. Um, first, what is data literacy and how did you come about stumbling into it yeah i think stumbling is a very good word like it, it was really a nerdy idea so data literacy giving it a definition and you're right i reluctantly have that nickname someone told me that's what people call me uh it's weird to think about but it's kind of a cool title if you also think about it but so when i years ago i worked for american express and while i was at american express i trained people on dashboards in the bi world that we were inventing and creating but we were training them on the dashboard, not on data. Yeah. And that's a different thing. And so I created actually a training plan, presented it to my EVP, and she flat told me no. Said, we're not going to do that. Just train them on the dashboards. They're not ready for that. Maybe in the future. And I don't think that thought ever left my mind. That's all the way back in 2015, 16, early time period. Yeah. And then Click, the analytics vendor, yeah. um, was hiring for an analytic curriculum manager. And I got interviewed and the first interview that I was there and the gentleman who was hiring is Kevin Hannigan, uh, still a friend of mine. And basically in that first interview is like, you're the guy for the job. Oh, wow. And it was basically turning me over to be, well, a lot of people don't know this is click had a rigorous like interview policy. You go through five interviews or whatever. And unbeknownst to us, the recruiter had gotten in a car accident and oh, I had no. gotten kind of forgotten. And my wife and I got to the point where we're like, all right, we're giving up on this. We're just not going to grab really worry about it. I think Kevin or someone got wind or I, he asked me how it's going or I talked to him. They got a new recruiter. And so we were frustrated. Obviously, once you find out what happened, there's a little bit of sympathy and like, Jeez, yeah, cow. really. And so, but anyway, click hired me to be an entrepreneur and I just started building product agnostic training for the masses, right? You're a data engineer. I work in data literacy and strategy. We have a better understanding than 99% of the people out there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started building content around data literacy and, and just putting it out in the world. That was in June 2016. Unbeknownst to me, in, in February or March of 2017 is when Gartner started talking about data literacy, but they didn't even know I was doing it. And already had started building it. I got on a phone call with them June or July, and kind of the rest is history after that. It just started to blow up. Mm -hmm. And when I got hired at Click, the funny story is we didn't even really tell Click I was there because this was so new. I didn't do anything with the product. I wasn't selling anything. Eventually, with data literacy, I gave it away for free. 
And so we had to prove there was value to it. And so I spoke at our user conference and from there blew up, travel the world now. If you had asked me back then if I would have thought it would become this, would have had no idea. Yeah. Would not have even guessed it. Because I, it, to your point, stumbled. And when I've had people say, how'd you figure this out? I didn't figure things out. I just had an idea. And the market was ripe for it to take off. Yeah. Here we are, three published books later. I'm in my fourth book right now. And you're just like, yeah, all right. Let's just keep doing this. It's what it is. But I mean, what is data literacy? It's, it's empowering people to utilize data, even if they're not a data professional. Like the majority of people don't need to be data strategists. They don't need to be data scientists and data engineers. But we live in this age where data is everywhere. Companies want to use it. They want to democratize it. AI is now everywhere, more readily available using GPT. I'm excited to see where Gemini goes this week yeah. if Google went. But it's empowering people to just be confident in being able to make a data-driven decision. Uh -huh. One of the things I teach about it is everybody already has data literacy in them. You and I travel a ton. I'm guessing you use the weather app looking at the city you're going to just like I do so I could pack. If I'm going somewhere like Finland and it's November, I did that once. I didn't pack a big winter coat because I'm a dummy, right? Well, for the audience here, yeah. Jordan's actually hanging out in my house right now. It's snowing outside. It's like uh, how 30 degrees and Jordan's hanging out in his shorts <laughs> and running shoes. Absolutely. Um, I asked if you went trail running earlier, but not apparently yet. not. Okay. Um, but uh, not but trail yeah. running. I still got to get the workout in. Yeah. But, but So yeah, clothing wise, yeah, absolutely. you're prepared for everything. Um, <laughs> but to your point on data literacy, if you use a weather app to look at the data points on how to pack for a vacation, you've made a data driven decision. Yeah. But people don't look at it that way. Now go to the business side of things and companies are investing tons of money in platforms and products. We were at Big Data London. How many freaking vendors were there? You know what I mean? A lot. A lot. And companies are buying them, but then adoption doesn't occur. And it's not that the tools are bad, but are people comfortable, actually comfortable utilizing data with that tool? And I'm not trying to turn you into data scientists, but do you know how to read data? Do you yeah. know how to interpret it? That sort of thing is data literacy. That's interesting. It, it kind of jives with um, a talk I gave last week, uh, or I guess this week at Arabytes conference and a blog post I wrote, like a lot of fancy tools and no idea how to use them. And I think this is sort of um, overlaps, like the things that I wish would happen more is obviously the technical training and the foundational training um, in a variety of other ways. But I, I also feel like data literacy is one of these things where if people had a sense of data literacy, um, not just adoption of tools, but I would say better outcomes 100%. would be, um, you know, more visible. Because it's it's interesting. We I don't think we have a tooling shortage at this point. To your point, there's like a ton of vendors. It's there's not a lot of bad data tools compared, especially compared to ten years ago. But why is it that we still have the same um, questions and the same problems popping up that we were probably Absolutely. seeing ten plus years ago? Right. Right. Like and and data literacy. If you think about it from a foundational perspective. People have been trying to do this for centuries, I would argue, trying to figure out how to use things for better outcomes. You, you're saying it really well. Like when I present on data literacy, the first section I talk about is not really what data literacy is. It's about the data world. And yeah. that what we're trying to do in the data world is get better decisions and outcomes. That's what these tools are for. And to your point, I, part of it for me on why we're still stuck trying to answer the same questions is we're just repeating things over. AI is the latest example. Yeah. Look at C-suites right now. How many of them are talking about AI, but their BI is crap? And like so now they're, yeah, they're trying to jump on this new trend and this new hype and all that, 
But your, your data is not even prepared for this. Your BI is not even succeeding. Oh, well, we got to do it now. Years ago, five, 10 years ago, um, well, we'll go 10 more years ago, the democratization of tools like Tableau and Click. Oh, yeah. we got to buy this. And Tableau and Click could make those tools look really good with the data sets they demoed for you. Yeah. But then you brought that to the company. Without data literacy, leaders didn't know how to properly put it in place. People didn't know how to properly use it. So it's, I'm a big guy right now that is saying, if we don't take a step back and really take a look at the data strategy we're doing, assess your company's data landscape, Yeah. I don't care what you do. It's not necessarily going to work. I read something this morning that has really f hit a note in my brain that it's basically if the investment in the tools, technology, and people is not equal to the desire that you have to use data, you're not going to succeed. Mm. So if you're sitting here as a leader, I want AI, I want data, I'm going to spend very little on it, but I want it all, you're not going to get it done. And then if you spend a ton of money on it, but you don't drive data literacy and data strategy, you're still not going to get it done. You've got to balance that scale well. You probably see it like me. I can't name one company that does it. Not one that yeah. does that really well. I even see it at, at you know big... Uh, tech companies too like the ones you would think would be uh data driven and literate it's the same same thing there absolutely um, so part of me wonders how much of it is just people getting in their own way yep you know um, well and and we were talking about the book that that book stolen focus one of the reasons i think not that not that i think it, it talks about it in the book that we get so distracted to your point we're getting in our own way is there's too much information there are too many tools i don't think we have a famine of tools i think there are too many yeah then if i'm a leader let's say a c-suite or a purchasing power but i'm not a data professional and there i go to an event aws reinvent last week it could be like the data iq summit it's going to have powerful vendors and these are good vendors even mm -hmm. at aws big data london but if i'm a leader that doesn't understand the power, how to use them and things like that, I'm gonna be overwhelmed. Oh yeah. So you buy a solution thinking that's gonna solve it. That's not gonna solve it, right? You have to have the strategy. You have to have different key pieces like your focus. Data engineering is here. Data literacy is here. Front end analytics is here. Governance is here. How is your strategy and your landscape making those things work? Right. What do you see, though? I mean, because, you know, you travel around uh, a lot like I do. I mean, you talk to a lot of um, companies, a lot of people. Um, what are some of the themes that companies want to approach you with? And then I guess, yeah, we'll start with that. Like, why, why, do, why do people want to talk about data literacy in the first place? I mean, because on the surface, it seems like it's one of these things that should we should just intuitively get it. And like, you know, like, why is it? that they need a Jordan Morrow to come show up to the company and, and talk about it. Yeah. I think the common phrase is we don't know what we don't know. Okay. Like I think if, if I'm talking to a leader and when I talk about this, it resonates because it makes sense. Obviously this should be intuitive. It should make sense. This we're skilling people up, not just on tools, but on making decisions with data on how to analyze data. All of that should be a part of it. So but one of the, it's very interesting. I'll give data literacy talks and then have, kind of Q and A's, one of the biggest themes, I did a LinkedIn post on it just today, asking what are their big roadblocks right now? The number one one, the number one roadblock is the same thing that is probably the most common topic I get questions about. And that is how do I get leadership buy-in? How do I get leaders yeah. to believe in this? Yep. And so it's not, it, a lot of companies I think have a lot of good data work, but you have a lot of people that are hesitant. One, they fear what they don't know. Two, there is a fear that the data is gonna reveal they've been doing their job poorly. 
And I, that one to me is startling because I would want data to show me I'm doing my job poorly. But I think they fear retribution. Yep. And I go in there and I'd be like, why would there be any retribution? I'm going to get mad at leaders if they give retribution because you've never had the data before. So now that we know if they keep doing it, that's a different thing. But the psychological safety part is probably oh, pretty big, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where like, there's a lot of fear. I was in Scotland in May meeting with Scottish Fire and Rescue, like a very interesting group to bring someone out to talk data literacy for three days. And I was basically the only speaker outside. They didn't have keynotes or webs or like breakouts. It was me. And you'd have some of them asking, answering questions. And on the third day, I talked more about advanced technologies. And a lady went there and asked, I want to think his name is Rich. Not that the name means anything to people maybe listening, but she went up to him and said, I'm here on the third day because I'm fearful AI is going to take my job or whatever she asked. Yeah. I got right up in the session and I said, yeah, AI will kill jobs. But if we reskill ourselves and we stay and we learn and we grow, you can make yourself valuable. But to your point, psychological safety is huge and data and analytics is a topic. You and I are professionals in this space. It's what we do. But for 90 to 99% of people, they don't. Right. So this is where data literacy can help empower them to feel more confident and more comfortable. I'm not teaching them to do statistics. I'm not going to teach them advanced coding, but can I give you some skills that make you comfortable and more valuable to your organization to deliver better outcomes? As you what said are some earlier. of those skills? So the definition is it's the ability to read, work with, analyze, and communicate with data. And so it varies. If I'm teaching a leader about data literacy, I'm teaching them, can you ask your data professionals good questions, good data-driven questions? Because you've probably seen this. How many people listening have been asked a question, get me this data, you provide exactly what they ask, and then they tell you it's not what I wanted. Yeah, all the time. That's not on the, the data team, right? It is if they don't push back and make sure that's what they really want. Yeah. But that leader needs to know how to ask better questions. I would call that part of data literacy for leadership. Right. Um, if I'm a marketing analyst, reading, working with, analyzing with, data and communicating with it is I don't need you to build some advanced data visualization or model. I need you to be able to use whatever's delivered to you to either ask questions. I need you to be able to find some insight. And then you take that, tell a data story, execute a decision, and then you iterate on it and that. So those four characteristics, it doesn't mean I'm turning you into some statistician, but I'm giving you the skills so that when your company does buy 10,000 Tableau licenses, you get more value out of it versus Excel on steroids. Cause I'm like you, Yeah. you might not need 10,000 Tableau licenses. Sorry, vendors. Excel <laughs> is perfectly good yeah. for a lot of things. Um, now there are advanced tools that are powerful. Don't get me wrong, but it's like for the majority of people, let's just get you started in delivering better outcomes and then you can proceed forward. Mm hmm. It's an interesting point about Excel too. I, 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 I think in the last few posts, um, I, I've, uh, I have some friends that commented like what tools you're excited about or what tools you use a lot. Um, and I sort of tongue in cheek put Excel down, but I, I'm not exactly wrong on this answer yeah. either. Uh, it is the most widely used data tool. And I think it's the most accessible one where I think if you are really good at Excel, you can actually, I think have a better capabilities using uh, more quote sophisticated tools. Even though Excel is pretty dang sophisticated itself. I'm with you. Right? Like for so. a lot of people starting off with data literacy, Learn how to do pivot tables well. Learn how to analyze data in there. Learn how to yeah. build some charts in there. And then as you advance, you can get, there is a tool coming out and I'm, I'll give Sarah Nagy 
a shout out. You, oh, yeah, you yeah. interviewed her, CKI. I've been yeah, working with so. them for about a year, year and a half. They, nice. they reached out to me to, to chat with them and all that. That's one that I'm actually very curious because what it does is this whole, a holistic democratization almost along the analytics maturity line. Mm-hmm. It's the only one I know of and I'm excited for them. You know, I still work with them and things like that. That's cool. But for some of these tools, it's like I'm wondering if companies have overextended themselves. And I'm a big believer that if you've spent a lot of money, but you're not getting value out of it, don't just keep kicking the can down the road. Kick it out and then yeah. figure out what you really want to do. Sorry, vendors. Yeah, sorry, oh. vendors. We love you. But it, it's, and it's not that, again, it's not maybe not even kicking it down the road. It could be literally taking a step back and saying, okay, we need to reevaluate how we're using it. Yeah. And how do we do it? That might be not kick it out, but take a step back of quit trying to force fit it, build a better data strategy, and then use the tool in that manner. Mm-hmm. That to me is a powerful way to do these things. Well, how do you build a better data strategy? Data strategy is one of these terms oh, I, yes. I see floating around. And I, I literally have no idea what it means half the time or most of the time. Um, like it seems like you should definitely have a strategy with data, but I, I think that it's one of these terms that's often abused, yeah, often oh, in a self-serving way. Yep. What, what does data strategy mean to you? I, I didn't, like to me, all your data strategy is, is how are you using data to support your business strategy? I don't think you need to have some massive 10, 20 page outline of what you're going to do with data. If you have a business strategy, our goals for 2024 are X, Y, Z. Data is there to support those goals. Yeah. That's your to me now. To your point, you're going to have people out there. Well, some maybe big firms that are like, oh, we'll help you build a data strategy. It'll take us three months. We'll give you a forty-page report. It's like um, that's not going to do anything. You just spent a lot of money on that. You might get some value out of it. I'm the guy that'll come in and say, can you show me what your business strategy is? Yeah. Because the business strategy. Let's let's go with one of the companies I work for. American Express is going to have these goals. And then it's going to fetter down through the business units on how they're working towards those goals. Right. right? The data is there as a support tool for each of those teams. That, to me, is the data strategy. Now, of course, you have data engineering leaders. Well, you better be building data in a manner that facilitates what the company is trying to do. Right. Front-end analytics, when you're building that out, whatever tool you're using, it better facilitate outcomes and decisions for those goals. I'm with you. I think that the data data literacy is even one of these terms. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it's one of those things where I think everyone uses the term, but I'm I'm uncomfortable that people know what they're using it for. It's yes. like it's like the term business value. Like we were talking about this um, uh, with a lot of friends. Uh, you know, my uh, my my business partner Matt Housley is writing a book on business value, and it's one of those. Terms, I just feel like it's it's super hard to nail down, especially from a data perspective, right? And so... Well, I think one of the things you're touching upon is if I say to someone, the majority of people marketing, they'll have an idea of what marketing is. If I say sales, they have an idea. Accounting, they have an idea. I think one of the issues with data is I say that to someone, they know about it, but they don't have a good knowledge of it. And so it's very easy to latch onto terms that you feel comfortable with, like data literacy. Oh, that's going to solve it. No, it's not. It's yeah. one piece. And I'm the data literacy guy, but it's not going to solve everything. Oh, data visualization. Wonderful. It's not going to solve it. AI is not even going to solve it. Data strategy is not. But I think, to your point, people latch onto these terms because it's easy. 
and it's comfortable. It's psychological safety versus what do you really have to do to get value? And you're talking about it. What Mm -hmm. does value as it defined as what does monetizing data really mean Mm -hmm. for me? It comes back to what is the business trying to do? Yeah. Let's use data to support it. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, yeah, it, it seems like this is a constant tension. And again, you, we, we talk about vendors and vendors will, you know, I mean, they have every motive to say, well, obviously, if you use our solution, then everything will yeah, just absolutely. magically work. But it, yeah, but I think we, we've both seen this often where it, it does depend upon um, who's, yeah, the stakeholders and if they've leveled up and their ability to use these tools and understand what's going on. I mean, because oftentimes, I mean, you, you've seen this too, like a lot of tools get bought and then rejected. It's kind of yeah. like an organ transplant or something. Yeah. And it just uh Well, and part sucks. of it, uh, my, my thoughts on that are usually the tools were fine, but the tools get the blame for what's gone wrong. Yeah. And a lot of times it's not the tools, it's the people. It's both the business side and the data side in a, under, a, a sound understanding of how to implement these things to get, again, that nebulous word, value out of it in some way. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that value needs to be the business objectives. A prime example of this is when I worked at Click, I was working with um, our reps or whatever in Australia, a big financial institution there, Westpac, was asking Click, we need to have an RFP or whatever. We're, you know, we've used you, but they're not getting adoption out of it. So they wanted us to come to the table. They were bringing Tableau and I don't know how many others. And my argument was, well, they can invest in Tableau and in a year later, they're going to be back here asking the same questions. Yeah. And it's not because Click or Tableau, both of them wonderful tools. So I will give a shout out to vendors here. Yeah. Tools are wonderful if the people know how to use them and implement them correctly. And so I think that that's where, again, the fact that data and analytics is so... If you're not a data and analytical professional, your understanding of this space is harder. Mm-hmm. And so you do latch on for safety reasons for this and that. Yeah. And But then when it doesn't go the way you want, the this or that gets blamed. And that's not necessarily All the, time. the answer. Right? All the because time. you're just going to regurgitate the same problem. AI is a prime example of it now. Because boardrooms are asking, what are we doing about this? I'm the guy who's going to go, can I just see your data first? Because if you don't have data-centric AI and, and your friend and buddy, Andrew Ning, that's what he calls it, data-centric AI. Yeah. If you don't have good data and you don't know how to use it, what good is the AI going to do for you? Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Yeah, and I, I think that for as much promise as there's, there is with um, AI, I mean, we've been through a few of these hype cycles before, yeah. and I, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of... Um, there's going to be a lot of broken hearts and carnage uh, probably yeah, you know, next year because um, people aren't taking care of the basics of it either. And so that's just the reality of it. But this has happened before. It'll happen again. Yeah. Um, you know, even like, you know, uh, Sarah from Seek, I mean, you know, she's the first to point out, yeah, the data that you're using, it kind of matters at the end of the day. Yep, it's absolutely. Out, so. Well, and you look at what that tool is doing where the non-data professional, so the data literacy base, you could call it, yeah. is able to type in right to that tool. But garbage in, garbage out, yeah. meaning they seek has a great tool, but what if the company has horrible data? Right. Then that data literacy person who is inputting some sort of request into that data mm-hmm. might get an answer that is not okay. Right. Like, and it's not even a hallucination. It's just bad data. And so from their standpoint, they don't know that though, mm-hmm. because they're reliant on the engineering and the architecture and the data being clean. There's a great organization, Stout. It's an investment bank out of Chicago, and I'll give them a praise on this. We were in talks about, should I come in and run the data and AI for them and get them there? 
but they, their data was not set up well. And I salute what they said. Like, we're not ready. And they had put their money somewhere else. And so I, if you don't invest well, it's not going to work anyway. But the comment was, we're going to sit and watch. Hallelujah. Sit and watch and see what is happening in the space and things like that. Because you might invest thinking and spend millions trying to get this right. Oh, yeah. But your data wasn't there anyway. Shout out to them because they took a step back and they were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything right now. That's cool. That's all. Now they're training and they're learning, but they're not paying for this massive investment into a generative AI that sits on top of their data that's not ready for it. And it's like, good for you. you you're doing something that I don't think a lot of companies are willing to do because of FOMO, right? They're like, oh, we're going to miss out because we didn't pay right now. Yeah. I'm kind of like, wait a year or two and see what really happens. How many people a month ago realized what Google was going to launch? What was it? This week with Gemini? Yeah. Yeah. How many people realized that? And if you had put all your eggs into GPT and, and OpenAI and all this with Microsoft, now you see this, you're like, oh, we missed out. That's why sometimes evaluation and sitting back and waiting is an okay decision. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, especially this is moving at light speed. And I, yeah, I, I want to go try Gemini out. I mean, I, I use ChatGPT every yeah, day. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's like a... It's like a friend you can talk to. Um, so, oh, absolutely. You know, it does a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, it just feels like super early days of this. I mean, yeah. so wh where do you think data literacy falls into a world where everything is powered by AI? I think that it was very interesting. I remember when it came out, I literally had the thought. I'm like, did I just become obsolete? Yeah. Because it'll do it. And then I had someone say, no, you became more important. And I agree with that now. And the reason is... I've now started talking about both a data and an AI literacy combined. The reason for that is, remember, AI can hallucinate. I think you have a shirt, right, that talks yeah. about AI hallucinations. Yeah. Now imagine someone doesn't know that. They just type things in. Like the lawyer who quoted a case or whatever that wasn't real, but GPT gave it to them or who, whatever generative tool they were using. Yeah. I'm a big believer that data and AI literacy going hand in hand because you need to be able to know how to ask good questions of it, but maybe more importantly, you need to know what to do with the results and how to execute decisions and outcomes from those results. You and I get it. We know how to use it. We know how to filter if things are accurate and things like that. I'm going to bet a lot of people don't. And so the moment they put it in there and they get a result, it's aha, Eureka, we've got something. Yeah. But do you know how to then execute that for a decision? Do you know how to then iterate on it? Do you know how to question it? Do you know how to combine it with other data, including the human element? Yep. I'm a big believer the human element doesn't go away. It needs to imp be a part of what's happening. Yeah. And so I think it just evolves. It might not be, and I hope this is the case, and I know Seek is doing this, right? It might not be that you have to build the data visualization anymore. That used to take you two, three hours to do. Now let the tool do it in a few minutes, and you do the deep work of analysis on it. Right. Thinking about it, critically thinking on the information, shutting off your devices, and looking at it and asking questions. That, to me, is where the data and AI literacy should be going, and I hope it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, was just, I think my favorite talk this year was uh, to my uh, oldest son's sixth grade class about AI. So I spent the hour uh, talking to him about AI. And it was interesting getting the perspective of kids because, you know, I first asked them, what, what, what is AI? You know, and I think they, they just responded, well, it's going to take over the world. You know, and I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. Um, and so I spent, you know, I, I have ChatGPT on my phone and I just showed him ChatGPT. And I was like, I just passed my phone around for an hour. I was like, just let's, let's dive into this. Let's ask yeah. it some questions, right? Because, you know, because they, they, I think they had a lot of um, 
you know, opinions on what ChatGPT could do. And they thought it was basically this overwhelming godlike force. Yeah. And he started pushing the boundaries of it, you know. Um, I'm just going to pull it up now. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it can't predict the future. Um, yep. You know, and, and so it was, it was cool seeing their... Um, just sort of a reality check with these kids and saying, okay, so, you know, at least at this point, it's, it's it, maybe it's an aid, actually. Maybe it can help me with my homework. Uh, yeah. So, you I know. don't like when schools ban it. I think it's stupid. Like, like for me, you and I, we like to write. We've written books and stuff. But let me ask you, if you're working in a business, how often do you write a 10-page report? Not very often. Yeah. But how often are you and I presenting all the time? If I'm a teacher, I'm sitting there and saying, go ahead and use any generative AI tool. Because the report is no longer your assignment. You have to deliver it to the class and you have to be able to answer questions on it. So allow that augmented aid be a part of your education, okay. but now you have to public speak. And that is a skill, no offense to those who write, you and I are authors, we write. Yeah. But public speaking matters and being able to communicate matters. So if I'm sitting here, I'm saying, okay, each of you, your assignment is not writing a 10 page report, it is. But then you have to build slides around it and you have to deliver a 15-minute presentation with five minutes of Q&A. Yep. That to me is more valuable because it's mm -hmm. teaching them how to use the technology. They become better experts on the topic they're studying because they have to answer questions. It's probably going to be very apparent very quickly who does not know the topic. Oh, yeah. And then you move forward. To me, that is so much better because we're not, we're not Luddites. We're not allowing the technology to be broken off over here. Right. We're moving forward with it and teaching them. That's just it. And I think it hopefully it fosters different types of critical thinking. Um, like I always thought essay writing was good and that it pushes you to, to um, explore a topic. But now that there's sort of the cheat where you can just have something right for you, now you're going to have to approach essays in a different way. And, and so it, it's a matter of, I think, critiquing what maybe yep. uh, ChatGPT had written and then understanding, okay, so like where, where are the arguments flawed or where are the facts wrong on this thing? You know, so... Well, we, for me, I, my three C's of data literacy are curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. Mm. All three of those should be attacking AI as you use it. You should be critiquing it, asking questions. Yeah. To me, that's the power. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And like, I even use it with my kids' uh, story problems for math. Like, um, you know, we'll, we'll check the work. And, and I would say maybe a quarter of the time, ChatGPT is actually wrong. And then, but the thing I tell my kids is, okay, I can see where it's off, but why don't you go and figure that out? Yeah. Right. So I think it, if anything, it, hopefully it turns people into better BS detectors. I yeah. mean, I haven't read that book that you were talking about, the focus one. Yeah. Uh, Stolen Focus. Stolen Focus. I really want to check that out. But I, because um, I think one of the things, especially with social media and just the shortening attention spans, one thing it's done is it's, um, I think kids are skeptical in some ways they, they they're trying to tell if something is real or not but now that you have the ability to create more content it's kind of like the, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if it's right or wrong yeah, anyway absolutely. so you know like what is it 95 percent of the data is supposed to be ai generated by like 2025 which yeah. is like very very soon i very mean soon. so i mean so the question i've been having is you know you're going to live in this kind of hall of mirrors type world where you don't know what's real or not so how do we reconcile this with stuff like data literacy and I guess AI literacy? How do we, how would we be able to discern what's believably true or, yeah. in, or factual? Like for me, it, it goes down to the questioning. One of the key things for me with data literacy, uh, the curiosity and AI literacy is question everything. And it doesn't take long, right? And to your point, you can recognize 
that something's not accurate. Quarter of the time, looking at the story math problems, yeah. your kids can't recognize that. So what I hope data literacy does is it sparks in people the automatic thing that when something is presented to you, you just question it real quick. Yeah. Because so, But social media, to your point, this is where the stolen focus comes in. It presents new information so quickly. Do you sit and take the time to reflect on it or you just go move forward and you just let it go and you let it go and you're never questioning it? I think a lot of people just want to be entertained. A hundred percent. Right. And I distracted. Mean, there's an old book uh, called Amusing Ourselves to Death that came out, I think, in the 70s or 80s. It talked about this phenomenon where a lot of media consumption wasn't meant for education. It was just meant for, you know, um, entertainment value. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's increasingly more and more of what we're uh, mm -hmm. moving towards. Um, well, and the so, dopamine hits. Yeah. It is a very easy thing to go on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and have quick dopamine hits. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel good. That's an issue, right? And, oh, yeah. and, it, and it's, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful because they were probably saying similar things about TVs and, well, things, and then you adjust. And I'm hopeful right now we're, you know, there's, there's a, another book out there and I, my wife, I sh she might kill me for not remember the name, The Fourth Turning. Maybe? Oh, that's a good yeah. book by Turgan. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. goes through that we should be in that fourth turning right now and seeing where in maybe five to 10 years, how it flips again. Mm -hmm. And we start to see how the improvements and things, because don't get me wrong, social media can have value. Uh, tools and technology have value. The misuse of it is the problem, mm -hmm. right? And so I think as we learn and we grow and we see things improve, I have hope that we're, we find those solutions, we find the better ways of doing it so that these things are augmentive of a happy life versus impeding and just distracting us from everything else for sure and for the audience the fourth turning is a book that kind of discusses the uh cycles of history and how they repeat themselves so uh the author um basically lays out that it's, in some ways the future can be predicted uh by cycles of the past and so and the cycles of um the past often involve tensions between um you know wealth and equality mm -hmm. and and um you know um uh, hegemony and so forth right so it's uh so the author argues right now that we're sort of in what's called the fourth turning um which is uh sort of the uh, uh the, the death throws of the old <laughs> order and the uh you yeah. know the birth of a new one and whatever that is yeah. and so you know it's maybe it's it'll be the thing. ai order like if, if we're going to, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and not in a bad way, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean by that well, it is, could be too, but. could be, it absolutely <laughs> could be. And, and maybe it's, it turns us for the good and maybe it breaks the fourth turning, right? Yeah. You never know. Well, you're in a different inflection point now. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Speaking of books, I kind of want to talk to you about also just, you know, content creation, being a quote thought leader and just your hectic travel schedule. Like how the hell do you do all this stuff? <laughs> Well, number one, I'm, I am an early morning riser. And because I've had this question before, I'm a big believer in discipline and routine. Like okay. in the mornings, it's my reading and journal time. And if I'm writing a book, it might be when I'm writing. If I'm doing a Substack post, it might be me writing that or a LinkedIn post. Because I've got five kids. At the end of the day, <laughs> you're too busy, you're tired, your brain has gone all over the place. But my mornings are sacred times for yeah. me. Um, but that being said, one of the things I big believer in is I'm going to do what I want, right? And I think you're the same people we know are the same. If I want to write, I'm going to write. If I want to speak, I'll speak. Um, there are obviously having a big family obligations I have to meet and all of that. Um, but I, for me, it's not necessarily work if I love it. 
it's a part of who I am. Right. And I would say being the data literacy guy is a part of who I am. I enjoy the speaking. I enjoy to a degree the travel. It gets tiring as we've talked it's about. Exhausting. Yeah. It, yeah. Your body eventually gives you the middle finger and says, I need to sleep a little mm -hmm. when you're passing through time zones. But that's a part of it is I, I enjoy what I'm doing. And so if I'm, if I'm writing, if I'm speaking, I'm writing a book, I love to read. I love to study. I know you work out. I'm, I'm big into fitness. I want to take care of myself. Those things matter. And when you do that right, you can prioritize right. And hopefully you're not as distracted. And, and, like, and, and don't get me wrong. I think some distractions are good things. We were talking about this. We get lots of requests or lots of meeting invites, lots of sales. They can be good things, but is it, is it impeding on the essential things that I want to yeah and oftentimes they do they do 100 yeah. so taking that step back and truly knowing how to prioritize what you want to accomplish is a big deal it really is and and, and i think the the paradox is is you grow in popularity um and as your um you know your your kind of rise in whatever status we happen to exist in this kind of a you know this data <laughs> microcosm but you do get a lot of requests. People want a piece of your time. People want you to check out this or that product or yeah. project, at least for me, you know, and they may want you to give a, a talk at their event or something like that, or just want to pick your brain, quote unquote, for various things. And anymore, I know for me, I'm having to turn down a lot of these yeah. things because it is, they, I have, I have only three major priorities right now. And like, if it doesn't attach to those and, you know, I'll be willing to give friend, no, time to my friends and stuff, but, you know, but it's like, otherwise you know because the things you're working on those priorities are going to set you up for future success yes. and it all builds in itself and you could completely torpedo that if you're just distracted Absolutely. all the time well and and you hear it all the time that no is such a great word but how many people actually use it not right? that many not that many and it's i think they might be thinking to themselves i wish i could well quit saying could and just freaking do it just say no. I got one friend who's like that. He would say yes to everything. And I was talking to him. He's, he's writing a book right now. And he's just like, I, I, I need to get better at saying no. Like, how the hell did I get in a situation? You just do it. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, and you and I, I know I've seen you, I think, post about it on LinkedIn. We'll get sales calls where or sales messages, a direct message. Oh, yeah. They don't introduce themselves. They don't do this. Are you looking for this? How can we help you here? I don't respond a lot of times. Oh, I don't. Like, it's like, guys, you're not even asking me how I'm doing. You're not even asking if I have time. You're not even getting to know me. Why in the world do you think I would entertain this? I it's had that like, happen this morning, actually. Yeah. This one, this one uh, woman messages me. And she's like, how's it going? I'm like, good. And then, uh, you know, so, so at least took that interest. And it's like, hey, have you, how, are you getting your, how are you doing your sales outbound? I'm like, this doesn't apply at all. How I handle that is, um, so I have a, I'm, I'm bumping up against my connection limits on LinkedIn. So if your first message is something like that, you'll get removed as a connection. Um, and then, uh, you go to the other fo folder, which is like the purgatory for yeah. like, it's, it's the archive. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I occasionally peer in there to see what's going on. And it's, yeah. it's just like, there's like, you know, 15 messages later, like, Hey, try to follow up like 15 other times. Like, you yeah. know, seeing if you're still interested. Absolutely. Like, yeah, no. Well, and I have to share the funniest one I ever got was a lady saying, I'm looking to get married. Something like that. Oh, it was like, Oh, what, what made you connect? What made you do this? And, and <laughs> it wasn't. Be honest, I'm looking for a man. I'm like, oh, Whoa. I'm married. I've probably had my five kids already at that time. I don't know if I ever <laughs> messaged that person again. Maybe I was like, I'm married. Sorry. And it's like, you know, there are plenty of dating apps out there. LinkedIn, good on you for trying something new, but... Oh, yeah. no, but it's becoming a dating app. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's so... Like, you and I, I will post what I want. 
sometimes you play the game to see what like I did I wasn't thinking of it necessarily as an experiment but that's what it turned into recently I reposted some of my more popular posts from the past mm. and watched them go off and then you post something that's deep thinking or you thought about and nothing happens nothing happens and you're it's just like part of it is like okay do you care about playing the game or just post what you want? And part of it is at times, yeah, we run our businesses. So you want some of the game because you need it at times. And then it, a lot of it is like, I'm going to write what I want. And if you don't like it, I can't do anything. That's what about I do that. on LinkedIn. I mean, it's one thing, I think there's a, there's certain formulaic ways of posting, but uh, my friend Chad, uh, he, he said that he likes my LinkedIn because it's more like Instagram where I just post pictures of friends and like, content and stuff and like i don't think i've ever done like a salesy linkedin post i'm like you know like ternary data does this like if only use our company like i've never actually done that yeah. um because it's the art of selling without selling in a way right like because yep. everyone uses linkedin as a sales platform i think it's kind of corny like do what you're gonna do but you're gonna be a lot more effective i think if you just bring yourself to the conversation and then people like it yep they might like you too and you know and that's how business happens at least well and, you know, and i think face. you're like me it's like if you don't like me okay it's like, fine there's there, yeah. you might have a feeling from me for a second and then it's like all right i've got too much to do to worry about exactly if you like me or not like and i had someone say to me once what did they say if you've got haters you're doing something right oh yeah and you have haters uh yeah well and it's more what's really interesting it's people who don't like the term data literacy I've seen this. And I've I, seen people come out for you actually saying, "Oh well, it should be business literacy. It should be data fluent." And I'm like, guys, yeah. I can come back and turn every probably one of those or a lot of them and make them offensive. But what's yeah. really interesting, it's almost like a virtue signal because a lot of times it's the data professionals who say, "I don't like that term." Right. It's not the non-data professionals who have issues. Maybe once or twice. And I've traveled the world over on this, and it's like I get it. Can there be people offended by it? Sure. But do we really ever hear people say, "Don't say financial literacy." The other side of it for me, yeah. or don't say literacy at all. No, for me, I'm a, and you might be like me. I would rather be blunt and have transparent, honest conversations than on data literacy. Like if a company is saying, well, we don't like that term and this, I'm like, hold on, let's take a step back and truly understand if people know how to use your data. Because if they don't, are we going to have issues? Sure. If you want to call it data fluency, I'm fine with that. But I could come back and say, you're telling me I can't speak the language of data? You're telling me I'm not data literate? There's going to be issues in a lot of places. Get back to the fundamental side of it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm the guy who will say everyone's data literate to a degree. Do you use your phone? There's data on it. Do you yeah. use the weather app? You're making decisions with it. Sometimes wearing shorts in snowy weather might not be the smartest one. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. like, like, don't get caught up in terminology. You're exactly right. I have people come right at me. Sorry, the term's here to stay. I've seen it too. Yeah, yeah it's it's annoying. I mean, but I think people want to bike shed. Um, if you know that term, uh, bike shedding is basically. I think it came from the an example is like, you're trying to design a nuclear power plant, and then uh, you're concerned about the color of the bike shed, and you're 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 having a meeting about that instead of yeah. something more important. But like, the thing with I think there's a lot of pedantic people on LinkedIn, especially where they just I think they're just bored. And want to look smart. Or it, I think there's, I, I don't want to call it jealousy, but maybe people are like, let's call it something else. And are they trying to make a name for themselves doing that? That happens a lot. And I'm just kind of like, guys, like I'm going to be myself. And if again, if you don't like me, move on. Don't, again, it's what are we fundamentally trying to do? Don't worry about the color of the shed. That's exactly what it. What are we trying to do? 
And it's funny too, because I feel like in, in the data industry, especially like, again, we, we're, we're still talking about the same crap we've been talking about for decades and we still haven't solved that. To me, that's the bigger issue. Yep. And to me, the biggest issue in the industry is it's a knowledge and skills gap, you know, across the board, knowing how to use tools, data literacy, the whole nine, nine yards on that. And like, yeah. you're going to sit here and complain about, you know, the choice of words. And meanwhile, the impact of what you're trying to do is what you should be concerned with. I don't Absolutely. give a shit what you call it. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's, that's why if a, co- if a company goes in there and they truly understand it, but like, we're going to call it this. I'm like, great, let's help you get there. Yeah. Versus I don't care if you change my name. Like the term's not going away. We've seen that. I met with someone last night from Australia. It was later our time because of the time difference. I think she's doing her PhD in data literacy. Okay. That blows me away. That's insane. That there's a thesis on, and I think it's really around the skills gaps and things yeah. like that. And I don't care how good the product is that you make and the value behind it. You can't just blame data people. You can't just blame business people. There's going to be gaps all over the place. And how do we address these things? How do we help bring impact and outcomes and teach people how to use it? Call it what you want, but let's get to the nuts and bolts. We've been, we've been trying to solve this to your point. How many years now? And But this goes back to my thought of so many people are not familiar with data and analytics yeah. that they latch on to things that help them feel safe mm-hmm. versus taking a step back and saying, I don't know, let's evaluate this whole thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I even had some people say, oh, like your book about data engineering, it's actually not data engineering makes no sense. It should be information engineering. As I call it whatever you want. I mean, you know, I I really don't care. I mean, but the discussion was just, it's like, I think there's more important things to talk about right now. Like, I don't really care what the term is. You call it whatever you want. Yeah. Um, Well, I had someone, I think, sometimes say to me, oh, don't you mean datum? I'm like, I don't care. Like Datum? Yeah, data versus datum. I had one time, like, I gave a TEDx talk on the topic. Someone's comment or question is like, what's with his hair? I'm like, that's what you're worrying about is my hairstyle? I'm like, good for I you. I have the same questions too. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Why, why does Jordan have a beard? Um, but yeah, like it's like, why, to your point, people can sit behind a keyboard and type whatever they want. I would they, rather have an in-depth conversation to help us get to solutions. And yeah. that's a better use of our time. Well, I think that's why, you know, you're, you're sought after as a speaker and, uh, you know, a consultant for a lot of companies. And, you know, it's because you are hyper-focused on, um, on those types of outcomes, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were like super flaky and just change your messaging and stood for nothing, then who the hell is going to hire you, oh, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, same with me. It's like, you know, what you see is what you get. And, you know, same with you. I think we know who we are and what we're about. And if you want to go along for the ride, cool. If not, I don't yeah. want to give a shit. So. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and, well, and it's, we were talking about people that we know before we got on here. And it's like, they're going to be themselves. One of yeah. them's a great troll, Ben. He's going to troll oh, things. Yeah. Jepson for ben the Jepson, audience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Taylor, Jepson Taylor. It's like, you watch his posts. It's like, if you know him, dude, I love how pure he is. He is him. Yeah. Right? So do it. Just be yourself. And then you've got the people going for clicks and they're going for likes. And it's like, why? Like, to your point, like, we've reached, and I don't mean this hopefully in any arrogant way, some sort of pinnacle status in a smaller fame-driven world of data. Yeah. Right? And it's like, allow yourself to be you. And be genuine and be sought after versus being fake and trying to get out there and get your name made. Just be yourself and, and work in the way you want. It's fun. It's, I think it's hard for people to, if you're starting out, especially it's hard for people because like you see this this sort of archetype of what, the, what should be an influencer yeah. or a thought leader and then you want to kind of mimic that. But I think you and I got to where we are I, almost doing the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Like they're, you know, so. I was told. 
I had to be posting on LinkedIn. Okay. I wasn't like, I didn't want to. I don't know how much I wanted to. When data literacy started to go in and I had a marketer say, no, you basically have to go post and you have to do this. Yeah. I'm glad I did because it, it helped. But our personalities are not, I'm going to do some big influencer things and pictures. And it's, it's nah. allow us to be us. And if you like us, you, you invite us. And if you don't, that's totally great. You don't have to like me. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, we're going to do our thing. Your focus, my focus, we're going to be ourselves. And there's power in what we do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I even had somebody make a whole Reddit uh, post about me once about how... Oh, you uh, were on LinkedIn Fanatics, weren't you? Or Lunatics. Lunatics. Oh, no. This was in a data engineering one. Like somebody had posted about how uh, it's like Joe Reese is only in it for the money and he's really selfish with his time. Yes. It was that because one. you wouldn't help him, right? Not, yeah, I wouldn't answer it. Wouldn't, but it was yes. just like, I think I answered a question. I'm like, yeah. I have a lot of shit to do, man. And it's yeah. like, but then I think everyone dogpiled on that post and said, yeah, I mean, what do you, what, do you think like Joe owes you time for anything? And it's not yeah. me being a dick about it. It's just like, I have a lot of stuff to well, do. Well, that's the thing is you <laughs> so. and I literally travel the world. We were talking before this and between January and June, there's a potential for me of like 12 trips or whatever. Yeah. It's like, I get that. And I love helping and mentoring. I want to do that. I'll answer questions, but sometimes I'm going to say no. Sometimes I can't meet with you because I'm doing this. Could we do it in the future? Maybe. Yeah. But like, to your point, it's not like, don't be entitled about it. People don't, don't feel like we owe you something, but let us be us and just respect our time. I've got a big family. You've got a family. We travel a lot. Guess what? If I'm home, I want to be present for my family. Yeah. I'm, I don't necessarily want to be spending sun up to sundown always doing this. I love to coach rugby and I have boys who play rugby. Yeah. You know what? If they want to, my wife wants to go on a date night every week. I, you've got to understand that, yes, we want to share time with you at times, but at times we have to say no. Don't be offended. Oh, yeah. That. No, I mean, I, I stopped taking most meetings. In fact, like my uh, calendar is eternally blocked. Um, if I... And it sounds, yeah, it sounds kind of weird or whatever, but I just, I just don't like the interruptions. And so one thing I'll do is, um, I'll send it, uh, I'll unblock it, like opening a portal for temporarily. So somebody can like book a time on my Calendly, but then it closes again. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty off limits. And that's really to avoid a lot of context switching. Right. I mean, yes. you know, so, cause I mean, I need to be sitting around making content or playing Xbox, you yeah, know, or whatever, absolutely. right? So, like, the important shit. So, absolutely. Um, well, I love how you said it. Like, people think you can multitask. We don't have that ability. Context nah, switching is damaging. It sucks. So, it's like, turn for anyone listening, after the podcast, go do some deep work. Turn your phone over so you can't see notifications. Better yet, turn them off. Shut down stupid emails and things. Just do some work, and you'll get more done. Yeah. Like, you can probably do in two to three hours of deep, focused work more than a lot of people do in an eight-hour day. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. Oh, yeah. It's all it, it takes. doesn't take a ton of time, but I know. Don't do I don't that. know about you, but I always try and have like the one thing I need to get done for the day, like the yeah. one major thing, and that's about it. Then everything else is kind of like you know maybe an hour spent on admin stuff, yeah. but it's like it's well, and there's seed planting because t- kind of to your point, when you're focused in on the prioritized stuff, you're planting the seeds for work that might be there in three months, yeah, six months, mm-hmm. twelve months. That's sustainability for a business versus all these distractions, if we're answering every sales call that we get, Ugh. how much are we planting? Like Nothing, it's not going to happen. I, I, if I want to get data literacy engagements. If I want to run workshops or work with speaker stuff, maybe I've got 30 minutes to reply to things, but then there's two hours of workshop building, an hour of content writing, an hour of writing my book, the new one I have to get out another for building a course that I'm doing with O'Reilly. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. building these things 
it takes the focused work. And then sure, I've got 30 minutes, surf social media, answer some people on LinkedIn. Yeah. But time box yourself mm -hmm. so that you get stuff done. Yeah, it's hugely important. And I think, because you and I are creators and so, you know, and the thing is, you're only as good as your last, last thing you did. So um, to some degree, right? But you always got to be thinking about what's next and building yeah. that. And that just takes a lot of creative thought. In a lot of cases, it, it's like you're out running in the mountains or something and probably thinking about, yeah, but that's, that's work that you're doing, right? People just think, oh, Jordan's out for another jog again. But no, I mean, you well, are you thinking. Need to clean, and you need to clean your brain out, right? Yeah. Like you need to allow it to flush itself. Like if I'm in the mountains, you're focused on climbing a mountain. If I'm doing a nice strength workout, you're focused on your workout, hopefully. And you're allowing your brain to not think about any of the shit. Mm -hmm. Just do your thing. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. So now I could come How many times have you heard someone say the idea came to me when I was out on a walk? Bingo. How many people take walks? It's that simple. And they don't, they sit at their desks all day long. One of the things I saw a post on this and I wish people would celebrate it more. We have got to stop celebrating time and seat and start celebrating outcomes. Yeah. Amen. If I, I, if I have a guy that's working 10 hours and the outcome is nothing and I have a guy working two hours and the outcome is amazing, or a girl who worked for me for an hour and produced this amazing thing, I'm gonna celebrate that over somebody who sat in their seat 10 hours. I don't care that you were yeah. in your seat for 10 hours. What value or impact or outcome did you bring to Bingo. that? Yeah. It's super, it's super key. And for me too, like one thing I do in the morning, I have a spin bike over there, yeah. it's the, the Kaiser. Um, I'll, uh, so I always read on my iPad or my Kindle, so, um, so that's at least one way to do zone two training while, yeah, uh, while absolutely you know catching up on things. I have so. a treadmill desk, just a homemade one. Nice. And I love to walk. I find I do better work when I'm just on my treadmill desk walking. It doesn't. It's at like a two. It's not even a hard pace. And so you're just walking and letting blood flow and working and yeah. you do that for one to two hours. You're burning good calories. You're helping yourself while at the same time, I find myself more productive while walking than just sitting at a desk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get it. You and I have content creation. We have to do that while sitting at a desk. Yep. I can't have the treadmill sound in the background on certain things. It's a bit right? weird. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Um, but sometimes that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. And then you, uh, you trail run a bit, right? I love it. I love the mountains. I love seeing Jepson, Ben do it. Um, I've been running my first ultra marathon, I think, is coming up in either February or March of next year. How long is that? 10 years ago was when I ran it. It was Damn. a 50K. Okay. So 31 miles. Um, I, I, this year I didn't run any, I had knee surgery this year, but then next year I'll pace a buddy of mine in a couple hundreds. I'll do a, probably a couple races myself. Nice. Have some fun. I love the mountains. We're lucky. I mean, we live right next to them. So it's yep. nice and convenient. Where do you like to run around here? I like the cottonwoods. I like big and little cottonwoods. That's good. Nice and easy to get to. Um, there are some by my house that are super convenient though. Sometimes if I'm on a lunch, there's a trail, maybe what, five, 10 minute drive. Nice and easy, go get an hour, hour and a half mm -hmm. run in or, or hike or whatever you want to call it and then come home. That's perfect. Um, not as picturesque as going up the Cottonwoods, and, but we're also at a time of year when the ski resorts are open. I'm not going up the Cottonwoods. No, anymore. man, you got to be a maniac to do that. Yeah. I, I, now, I do like... I, there is one up Big Cottonwood I'll do in the winter. Uh, it's called Lake Blanche. I don't know if you know Lake Blanche. Oh, Lake Blanche, Blanche yeah. yeah. That's, my, that's a fun one. My dog, my second dog's named Blanche. Oh, after nice. That lake. Oh, fun. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. What's it? Sundial Peaks up Sundial there. Peak. Yeah, yep. it's a big. That's a really fun hike. And I think the other, like, so I um, do Jack's Peak a lot. Yeah. Um, that yeah. one's fun. It's 
brutal for how short it is. Oh, yeah. It's Mount hard, Wire. But... Have you ever done Mount Wire? Oh, I love guys? Wire. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's brutally steep at times. And you're like, oh, it oh, is. crap. And West Side, too. So we get uh, oh, right next yeah. to my house is all the all the fun hills. So like West Side is pretty much like a 35 degree. Yeah. West face of grandeur. It sucks. It is. So the Speed Goat Race, which is one of my favorite ultras in the world, mm-hmm. is that Alton Snowbird, mainly a, uh, more Snowbird than Alta. Um to train for that, it's got over 11,000 feet of vertical Ugh. gain in 32 miles. And it's to train for it. Go, go take West face. On West face. Over yeah. And over and over and over. over. Yeah. 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 My wife and I, we do the, uh, um, the up and down. So you go up West, oh, yeah. go down East and come back. Um, I don't know, or do it in reverse. I don't yeah. even know. Both are just hard. Oh, um, yeah. And it's a good nine miles round trip. You're climbing. What is that? 4,000 feet over yeah. that time. It's, it's a brutal, it's hard, little, man. brutal time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you rock at all? Um, no, I've never rocked. Um, I, you, a lot of times I have a packet anyway, but it's not as heavy as a ruck. Okay. Would be. Yeah. So I will at my house. I have a nice way to base for my treadmill, okay. um, but going out on the trails and doing it, I've never. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Probably should. It would help. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, on like the, uh, like West side, for example, like, uh, uh, Cassie, my wife, she'll, she'll rock on that. Oh, uh, she'll man, that's take brutal. weight and go up there. She's crazy. She'll oh, go out and like, so brutal. she hikes in like the rain and stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know. She's. She's more like <laughs> you. you. You guys should go run sometime. Um, but I, I'm like not a cardio athlete. My goal this this winter is actually to get good at rowing. Yeah, um, and absolutely. so I'm just going to be dorking out on that thing. But nice. um, but yeah. Anyway, um, fun having you over. Do you want to go get some lunch? Absolutely. Okay, that's cool. that's normally our thing. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> right. And it's never been healthy. I don't think. Not no, yet. no. I have a place in mind. A big good Chinese restaurant. <laughs> nice. So yeah, we weigh like 500 pounds. And we're done. So uh, anyway. absolutely. Well, thanks for coming over, dude. Thanks, man. Good All right. Yeah. Thanks.